0: Stand at ease, episode 33, Sunday, September 23, 2012.
1: So if someone were to say, look, you know what, I've got issues, and there have been some high-ranking officers who've come right out and said, look, I've got drug addiction problems.
2: It's not, an, it's not a switch. It's not an all or none. I mean, somebody doesn't just wake up in the morning and decide they want to commit
0: suicide.
3: They're basically encouraging these the troops to just suck it up.
0: I think we need to pull back, all of us. When I say all of us, I mean literally all of us on on every side of the world and maybe take a 500-foot view of this. Well, Welcome back after what is a far too long, I think everybody will agree, departure. We had some summertime stuff and we had a little global stuff going on. But as always, over to my left, hailing from the cold and now getting even colder, somewhat frozen tundra up in... North Dakota, D.B. Bjorn Christian, welcome back, buddy.
3: Good morning. It started out, it's 27 degrees this morning, and it's up to 35 now.
0: Boy, a balmy 35, and as always, over to my right, both political, metaphorical, James L. Johnson, Jr. Welcome back, James.
1: Good morning to all. Good morning to all. Here in Michigan, it's a beautiful day. I'd say it's probably in the upper 60s, going to get up into the low 70s. It's just one of those days that you waited all year for.
0: Now, I want to make sure I get this right because we were talking a little bit. I worried all about where he was coming from, but from Highland, New York. Rich, Rosie or Razi? Razi, Razi. I was going to use Rosie. We've spoken before and had some fun before, but we don't want Rosie We don't want, you know, the palm and all that stuff. We don't want to have that. What's the temperature like over there in New York for us, Rich?
2: It's a gorgeous day. It's uh, probably in the low 60s on our way up. It's, uh, the skies are blue. The colors are starting to change. And it's just a beautiful day.
0: And I can tell you what, its uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and beat you guys. It finally started to chill off a little bit. We dropped into 83 today, so uh, here in Netanya, Israel. So, Did you
3: get a sweater on?
0: No, I didn't put a sweater on. I had to run the air. I'm getting a little bit tired of it. Football and everybody, I open it up, and <laughs> football season is starting, game three, you know, and stuff like that, and I've I'm, I'm got the air on. At any rate, we're excited about the show, and to kind of talk a little bit about a little seriousness here, but... James, would you be so kind as to give us a background on Rich, talk about why we arrived here, because I think we've had some very important shows. Of course, all of them are important. But I think in this case, this is a real important conversation that we want to have. And I think it's time that we peel back the veneer and stop with the patriotism in some case and talk about the real effects of what's going on and how life-changing events for all of us can lead to something decent. I'm pretty excited about this. James, do you mind taking it away for us?
1: Oh, I'd love to on it. Well, Rich was a former guest on the show. We had him for our 9-11 show.
0: Yep, I remember it.
1: And it was a great show. We got a lot of love responses out of it. Well, some time ago, earlier this year, Rich called me up and he told me, Jim, I'm I'm going to change careers. I'm going to try something new. I want to make a difference in people's lives. And he went on to explain to me Uh, what it was that he wanted to do, and I was fascinated by it. I was also fascinated by Rich. Rich is one of the most interesting people that I know and a highly intelligent individual. He's had a lot of experiences all throughout life. He decided to involve himself with helping veterans and other individuals who have disorders, and I'm going to leave it at that and let Rich chime in and explain to you why he made this life-changing event in his life and how he wants to reach out and help other people. Rich, I hope I didn't embarrass you by that, but uh, go ahead and let's take it off from there.
2: No, Jim, thank you very much for those kind words. That was very nice. Um, yeah, I've, um, um, I've experienced um, a lot of um, uh, drug addiction in my family. Uh, working with my children uh, for whatever reason, and uh, I decided to, uh, <clears throat> about six months ago, I decided to uh, embark on a new career after meeting some really caring individuals who are working in the drug addiction field, uh, and I'm taking what they call ksac classes. It's uh, drug and alcohol training uh, with the end goal to become a drug and alcohol counselor. And in my class, my instructor, uh, a wonderful woman, her name is Julia Dane, um, mentioned from time to time her passion. And her passion was uh, because of a very close friend of hers, a Vietnam vet uh, who suffered uh, uh, basically from post-traumatic stress, uh, eventually committed suicide. And so she made it her goal um, to work with veterans, and she wanted to, um, uh, you know, to open a, a veteran, uh, um, a, a, a treatment facility. So having had extensive experience raising millions of dollars for some worthwhile and some worthless companies over the years on Wall Street, I uh, I said, you know, I could do, I could work on this with you. This, this is exciting. Uh, and uh, we embarked on a journey, we First, looked at a, uh, a, a vacated uh, Christian facility. It was an orphanage for uh, for girls out of New York City. Uh, it's been vacant for four years and beautiful. Uh, it's on the Hudson Valley, overlooking the Hudson River. Uh, we figured we could house a hundred veterans there. And so it was a a little too uh, too uh, too uh, too venture, just too big. And we tried to raise five or six million dollars and. Uh, we found that uh, we're hitting a lot of roadblocks. And then we kind of scaled it down and we looked at uh, some other houses in the area that can house 15, 20 vets at a time. But again, what we finally decided or concluded was that without a track record, we're not going to attract the money that we need to do this. So we've scaled it all the way down to uh, our current plan is to open up a veteran outreach center, uh, basically a storefront. And I have four uh, social workers, four master so- social workers, uh, experienced working with veterans, primarily, uh, you know, working uh, to ease the veteran suicide uh, situation, which is really a national disgrace. You know, there's more veterans, more active duty uh, military personnel taking their own lives than are getting killed in combat. And
1: that's a- Rich, can I interrupt you just for one second here? Sure. I, I've got a copy of USA Today. It's dated 91712, and I want to read some comments by Leon Panetta. Okay. And then I'm going to turn this back to you because this actually ties right into this. The U.S. military deaths are running at a record pace. Enormous stress created by more than a decade of war are key factors behind an unprecedented rate of military suicides, and combating it will be the top Pentagon priority. Defense Secretary Leon Panetta says, What I've tried to do, very frankly, is to make sure that not only the Department of Defense, but all the military leadership, kick ass on this issue. Panetta told USA Today in a weekend interview, Leaders ought to be judged by how they lead on this issue. Panetta said the past decade of fighting two wars holds a lot of lessons to be learned. The human side of the prolonged warfare and how do we get a handle on problems such as traumatic brain injuries and post-traumatic stress disorder. Suicides among active duty troops have averaged a record of 33 a month this year, according to Pentagon data, through September the 2nd. 33 a month. I want to make sure that we are aware of how tragic this problem is and how urgent it is for us to try and address it, Panetta said. We're talking about men and women who are willing to put their lives on the line to protect this country. We have to do everything possible to try to make sure that we protect them. Now, the article goes on and on, but it gives some really strong statistics. In 2001, there was 160 suicides. 2002, there was 171. 2003, there was 190. 2004, there was 195. 2005, it dropped down to 189. 2006, it jumped up to 214. 2007, 223. 2008, 267. 2009, 309. 2010 was 296, 2011, 301, and through September of this year, we're at 260. The Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines are on a record pace. The Army has seen its rate triple from 2004, which was 21.9 per 100,000, to last month's record. Now, this is in July that this record number come up. 38 soldiers killed themselves, according to this data. Now, if you compare that to the civilians, the civilian, and this is all of the civilians in the United States, among the comparable civilians, the suicide rate was 24 per 100,000 in 2009. Now, that's the latest data. You see where we're going with this. It's increasing, and it's going to be an epidemic of major proportion. Not only the suicide rate, but to post-trauma stress disorders that will manifest themselves throughout the remainder of all these individuals' lives. Now, after bringing this up, the government is aware of it. The government is trying to do something about it. Yet, when you approach the government, you ran into some roadblocks, didn't you, Rich?
2: Oh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. First, Jim, just to go back to those statistics, um, you know, <clears throat> the addiction rate of, of uh, of uh, uh, well, first of all you know the statistics you gave were active duty personnel for veterans Correct. for veterans it's atrocious we're talking 18 19 suicides per day per day and that might even be a low number because drug overdoses may or may not be considered a suicide and you know something like 30 35% of veterans suffering from post traumatic stress syndrome or traumatic brain injury, uh, 30% of them are addicted to alcohol, drugs, or whatnot. So those statistics are probably all on the low side. Uh, In terms of getting pushback from the VA, yeah. I mean, my own personal experience, I mean, I read a lot. I read a lot of how the Veterans Administration is is doing this and and their hotlines, and they're, they're, they're making progress, but, you know, there's a stigma attached. And this is the big thing, and, and this is where the Daniel Center, which is the, uh, the organization that I'm involved with, this is what we're trying to address. The stigma attached is, you know, veterans going in and they don't want to admit that they have these issues. You know, it's still, uh, you know, the, the military is still a, uh, well, it, by necessity, it's a macho thing. And to go in, if you don't have a, a missing limb, uh, you really didn't suffer an injury. And so
1: one of the problems there, Rich, is it is it is a mancho group of individuals and any sign of weakness is not looked on in a positive way. It's looked on in a negative way. So if someone were to say, look, you know what, I've got issues and there have been some high ranking officers who've come right out and said, look, I've got drug addiction problems and I have personal issues with post-trauma stress disorders. And one of the things that they face is, will I be promoted? Will I be passed over? Will I I have to get out of the military? And the other thing that they look at, some of the civilian jobs that they want to go to. Let's say that uh, I suffer from post-trauma stress disorder, which, by the way, I do. And let's say I wanted to be a policeman. Well, right off the bat, when I'm applying, there's red flags going off. This is a veteran. He's a combat veteran. Highly decorated veteran. What kind of issues? What kind of baggage does he bring to the job? Oh, yeah. Same thing. Same thing. If I want to be a, a EMS, or if I want to be any of the things that keeps that adrenaline flowing, they look at that and they say, "Well, where are you at?" Let's say I want to be a border patrol man. You know, this is why guys don't come forward, and there's another reason why guys don't come forward too. They're afraid of being put on a list. There, there I've talked to I don't know how many veterans who have that issue. Well, once they know that I have post-trauma stress disorder, that's a mental issue. So if that's a mental issue, that means I may be watched that much closer. Now, the, this is right up front in your face as to why guys back away from this stuff. And we're aware of it, but yet... We don't address it that way. Why is that?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. You you gave the the answer, and that's why you know our approach. And I'm going to put a little plug in here for our website. It's Daniel Center Inc. org, um, and we're right now in a fundraising mode to raise uh, the first amount of money. We're looking to raise twelve thousand bucks to open up a uh, basically a storefront outreach program, a community based outreach program for veterans, Uh, for veterans that uh, understand everything that you just said, Jim. They don't want to go through that. They don't want that stigma attached to them. They don't want it in their record that they're suffering from PTSD, and that's going to close off a lot of career opportunities. Uh, So we're going to be, you know, working with these guys, and uh, uh, I have four master social workers who are, you know, all going to be working on a volunteer basis. And we're going to determine uh, over the next 12 months just what our local needs are. Um, and uh, <clears throat> without, without you know, having that stigma of going to the VA and then getting labeled. Uh, now, some of them obviously are going to need disability, and that's a whole different, you know, and that will help them as well. Do you find
0: uh, it kind of strange that going to the Veterans Administration for help should be considered by anybody including the actual veteran themselves as a stigma
2: absolutely absolutely but you know as jim laid it out it's it's a fact you know it's a, and you know, you know we can't blame uh, you can't totally blame it on the VA uh, as you know you go you go to the VA I mean look it starts when these guys come back they come back from afghanistan or iraq as it were uh, and you know they go through a series of questions and um, you know, uh, uh, where they're trying to be, with the, uh, the the veterans, uh, the VA is trying to screen them to see who does need help, who doesn't. But these guys know that if they start admitting they have problems, they're not going home right away. And, you oh, know, yeah. when you're yeah. away for, for a while, you want to go home. That's what you want to do. You don't want to uh, wind up staying on a military base or in a VA hospital.
1: Well, Rich, even what, even kind of, what kind of questions and screening do they go whenever they say, okay, I show up at the VA and I, I'm applying for post-trauma uh, stress disorder? Because I, I believe it's a, a 10% or something of that nature with it that uh, they
2: receive out of it. But w- what
1: are the questions they ask them? What's the process? Do you know?
2: No, I don't, Jim. I don't. Um, I was hoping that Julia was going to be on with us this morning, and she has that all, all down, but I don't know.
3: I can't pretend I do. Okay. One of of the things that I know about that's going on within the military, well, it may not be as bad now, but uh, at least four to five years ago, a lot of times um, post-deployment and pre-deployment, people who had been overseas already were asked, how are you feeling? Do you show any of these signs? And the person asking it usually would be a staff NCO or an officer, and they'd be giving indications to the troop that, don't answer this in the positive, say that you're fine. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they're they, they were basically encouraging these the troops to just suck it up. Yep, exactly. We yeah. Here's
1: something that I find interesting, too. You know, there's only a real small percentage of people who actually do participate in combat. They might be in a combat area, but they don't go out on search-and-destroy missions. They don't actually look the enemy in the eye and kill them.
0: Now, Jim, but they, they,
1: still, they still suffer from this.
0: Yeah, Jim, but, and, but, and I want to say, I'm, I'm going to step in here. I think I know why. Because this isn't a conventional war by any stretch of the imagination. Where deaths are occurring as you're driving down the side of the road or shopping or walking or in your base. We're starting to see now in Afghanistan that you're getting shot by the dude that's supposed to have your back. I think it's a very much different situation and a very different kind of war. Not that it wasn't the same kind of way that we had in Vietnam, but at least there was some kind of a uh, line. Go into the bush and expect the shit. Come out of the bush and expect to be somewhat safe. Somewhat. Keyword search. But now just the act of being alongside so your supposed you know helper – is getting men and women killed. And I think it just seems like you're just forever concerned about it. And unfortunately, I'm beginning to wonder if, if we have such a small military when you think about the number of people and the number of times that they go back. I can only imagine this. I think I would probably lose a certain sense of, of reality to some degree. And is if I went to a place and I survived for 18 months – and I got to come home and I got to taste the air of freedom and safety and my family and Adele with that shit. And then all of a sudden they put me right back on that big, that big tin box in the sky. And they dropped me back off there for another 18 months. And I just made it through once. It's got to be, it's just got to be a, a mind fuck beyond all belief. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt.
1: What do they do with our special forces? Think about that one
0: go in and there and that's
1: I mean I, some of them have had you know five six seven eight tours
0: we're not talking about a three or four year war we're talking about a decade of war and while we cycle a lot of the younger troops in and out we still have some senior NCOs and senior officers who half of their possible military career of 20 years has been spent in a combat zone in oh, that yeah. dealing it's just I think we're asking so much. And a country is, is um, wanting to be done with it. But once we're done with it, what do we, we're still not done with, and I'm using air quotes here, we're not done with it. We're not done with anything. We now have to deal with the people that you know we, we want to deal with. It's, it's almost like the, the, the only way I can describe it, I wish it was more of a poet, is you know you chew your gum and the flavor's gone and you spit it on a sidewalk and then every Tom, Dick, and Harry, as soon as the sun's out, has to walk around it and have it stuck to their shoe. These are the people that, that just just because we spit it out and we're done, the war is over and the flags have been raised, and, and, and that we forget these people, and yeah. and, and we're dealing with it. And and I'm you know, one, one last thing that I'm gonna turn it back over to you guys is I keep thinking about the Veterans Administration, which financially is overstretched, and and I know that the people that are working in the VA are working hard and doing the very best that we can, that they can and yet the money amounts of money aren't there. It's overwhelmed, and now we're looking at civilian groups, such as yourself, who are picking up the pieces out of the benevolence and a calling out of their own heart to try to find and help people. Um, I think, and you said the word, Jim, earlier, it is a disgrace. We should be flipping embarrassed as a That's, nation. Absolutely. Oh, it, it,
1: it's- it's it's continuous. You know, I uh, if you go on, you can find uh, women veterans and let's talk about them. Also, Rich, here's an interesting fact. Women veterans of Operation Enduring Freedom, Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation New Dawn. Women make up eleven point six percent of all of those operations as veterans. 56.2% of the women on all those operations, women veterans, have received some type of VA health care. 89.4% of them have used the VA at one time or another. And nearly 48%, nearly 48% used the VA because of sexual trauma Uh, assaults with them. Do you guys talk about that in your classes too, Rich?
2: Uh, No, really haven't. uh, James, it hasn't been addressed at all. Gotcha. Uh, Yeah, I got your email this morning, and that was kind of shocking. I had no idea it was those kind of numbers.
1: Oh, there's so many things out there that American (laughs) populace as a whole, they're just not aware of. You know, here in the United States, if we have an issue, let's say we had a school shooting, what do they do? They come in and they counsel these kids, from my understanding, through several years. You know, they keep a track on them and they go back and they revisit them and they see what's going on. I know in police shootings, on it, they've got to go see counselors. They have to talk with them for a period of time. You know, in that same USA report, they had an article about Antenam. You know, one of the bloodiest battles that ever took place during the Civil War. 23,000, 23,000 Americans were killed. Now, that doesn't count the ones that were wounded, but 23,000 were killed. What do we think as a nation, Rich? Has this ever come up in any of your classes? What do we think as a nation? Let's use all of these countries that are inflamed all across the Middle East there with Civil War. I mean, these people are in combat on a day-to-day basis. Look what's happening in Syria. I mean, they have to have post-stress trauma. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They have to have it.
2: Yeah. Well, that's another whole area. I mean, what are we doing? You know, I mean, this recent uh, uh, embassy uh, attacks and uh, demonstrations against the U.S. and then they blame it on a film. I mean, that's that 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 gets
0: my point hey, hey guys let's uh, let's go ahead and uh for reasons yeah, that, that have to yeah. do with my location at the moment I'd like to kind of steer away from that conversation if we can
2: Good. absolutely yeah. let me let me make a quick comment too about why and and again you know somebody made a comment that the v a is doing everything they, as as much as they can and they are and and, and they they have just but not they, nearly they're enough. a great
1: group, and i'm thankful that you're there.
2: But, you know, and and recently there was a, I think it was the Intrepid Heroes Fund uh, donated $100 million. They're building, you know, nine uh, facilities dedicated to post-traumatic stress syndrome on uh, on military bases around the country. But again, what guy that that served two, three tours of duty in Afghanistan going through what he's gone through um, uh, wants to go back on a military base to get treatment?
0: A smart guy. A guy who's thinking about the future, the gal that got their head out of their ass, the person who's thinking about the future and not the present, that's the kind of person who should be going there.
3: Yeah, Well, they should, should be going there, but how are they being encouraged? And how hard is it for them to get back on the base if they're, they're not active duty or a reservist? Well, one of the tough things that
1: you're kind of overlooking there is that majority of people on it that are in combat and in these different situations, they learn to live for that day, not for tomorrow. So you're right, Gar, the smart ones look at it, but there are a handful, a small handful. I mean, you you don't think about those things. You just suck it up and you move on. That's what you know, I do. You know, one
2: of the things that, at the Danielle Center that we're focusing on is that uh, PTSD, uh, It's not an, it's not a switch. It's not an all or none. I mean, somebody doesn't just wake up in the morning and decide... They want to commit suicide um, or they want to be drug addicted or whatever it might be. It's a process. It's a process that unfolds over time. Um, Just a a personal experience was my uncle who recently passed away. He was in World War II. Um, He didn't develop uh, nightmares and and, and issues until he was in his late 70s. And, you know, I mean, he, 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 he braved it up all of those years and then he started falling apart. He started having nightmares of... Uh, of when he was in Europe, et cetera. But so as a community-based program, we're looking to reach out for the guys that are just starting to feel that way. As they you know, which we're going to try to, and, and I think, you know, we, we're hoping to build a model that we can share with other communities and the, uh, around the country uh, to do similar stuff, to, you know, reach out for guys through the, through the Veterans of Foreign Wars, through the American Legion, through the DAV, uh, and just you know, get these guys to come in, help each other, uh, come in, and you know, not not guys that are looking to get on disability insurance, not guys that are looking for benefits, guys that are looking for help, and with it, and try to get them at the beginning stages of their issues, as opposed to once they've, it's become an all-in situation.
0: Rich, can I ask a can I ask you a question? Can, tell me a little bit about because I'm I'm thinking about that listener here who's. Not a vet that wants to learn. And we have, we, have, we have a lot that just tune in to, to, to learn about what's happening in the veteran's world. Tell me about, if you can, um, your personal metamorphosis as you've worked for the last six months and as you find yourself becoming more and more engaged and, this, and these kinds of issues become part of your DNA and part of the fabric. Can you tell us a little bit about that genesis to kind of where you're at right now over the last six months.
2: I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not sure I understand. You mean me personally, or yeah, would I...
0: personally? Exactly, you personally. Well, it's it's
2: it's uh, it's a question of uh, you know about how where you know, if we're sending we we we're sending. I mean, what is what it? is they been? Two million, three million guys that have done tours of duty in Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, and. They come home. So many of them can't find jobs. They can't get their old jobs back. Uh, They, you know, they're they're hurting for money. Uh, They're feeling, uh, you know, just uh, neglected. And I just, I, you know, there's no specific event that has that has woke me up to it. Other than, it's just, it's not right it's just not right i mean we these guys have gone over they've risked their lives for whatever reason um because they in their minds and, and rightfully so they believe they were doing their duty for the country uh and, it, and many of them actually were you know went in because of the money but that's another whole story but the bottom line is we're not doing enough for them we're not helping them and I just felt that this is something that I wanted to do. I, I, can't, I can't give you, you know, a specific event or a person or, or a reason of why I want to do this. I just think it's something that needs to be done. Uh, I think that we've discovered that working at a local level is the way to do it. Um, and uh, I think I, I went about two months ago, I went to the VA hospital, local VA hospital, and I wanted to do some volunteer work and the inpatient ward. Uh, inpatient inpatient clinic uh, for vets suffering from PTSD and addiction, and I was turned down, and they said, "Well, we don't allow outsiders to work on the uh, in the clinics." And I said, "Well, I'm not really an outsider. I'm a disabled vet. Um, I'm taking the uh, Veterans Vocational Rehabilitation program, which is uh, helping to pay for my education right now. So you know, it's coming from you guys." And I think I'd like to give some of my time. And they turned me down. They said they don't allow us uh, any outsiders to work in there. And that infuriated me even more. Because, you know, I'm thinking, geez, uh, you, you really have to be a basket case before they'll take you in. And, you know, perhaps we could make a difference here. Maybe we can catch these guys before they become basket cases. Maybe we can catch these guys before they start contemplating suicide. And... uh might sound a little corny, but, you know, I feel like, hey, if I can help one guy prevent, prevent uh, a completion of suicide, that would be wonderful.
1: Well, I'm all for it. I'm impressed with what you're trying to do and the way that you're going about doing it. But, you know, here's something that we've got to keep in mind. This stuff never leaves you. I don't care how much counseling you get. All the counseling does is just enables you to realize that you have it and hopefully helps you find a way to deal with it. But that doesn't mean that those, those dreams, those thoughts, and everything go away. You mentioned something earlier about a friend of yours. Uh, I think you said your uncle on it. who was in his 70s. And all those things started coming back to him. All those things are still vivid in my mind. It's just they come to visit me at different times. And sometimes they come with just tremendous amount of intensity. And I've learned over the years to deal with them. But, you know, I'm in my mid-60s, and I'm not as active as I was at one time. So there's more opportunity for those visits to occur. And I think that's something that we have to realize. that These guys, there's no pill you take. There's no shot that you get. This is something that they're going to live with all of their life. And most of this counseling, if not all of it that they receive, just enables them to say, okay, it's all right to have these things. Okay. This is how you deal with it. You do a little bit of a mind shift from one subject to another subject. I mean, that's how I learn to deal with it. Whenever I feel them coming on me, I'll try to switch, I'll try to switch some of these things around. In my mind, sometimes I can't and sometimes uh, it's like a movie. I I watch the whole movie in my head and it just rolls and rolls and rolls. I can smell something uh, and it'll trigger it off or I can just be sitting there. Uh, Lately, I've been having a lot of thoughts about incidents that specifically took place and uh, I try to get those out of my head as quick as I can because it'll cause me to be bogged down with it through most of the day, and I don't want to be that way, you know. So, I mean, these guys, I understand where they're at. I understand what they're going through. And I'm always fascinated whenever they talk about, what well, we can help you. Rich, you've been with your sons, and maybe even you personally, through drug abuse counseling and alcohol uh uh, abuse counseling, and what do you do? You just talk about it. What are you training to do now? Just talk about it. There is no magic pill. These guys will live with it for the rest of their lives. It's just how they live with it. Isn't that what well, it comes I'm- down to? Are you still there?
2: Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I mean, you, you do talk about it, and they, you know, I'm not going to get into the specifics. I mean. Because I'm far from an expert on this at this point, maybe forever. But there are there are certain brain changes that occur. There are certain uh, neurotransmitters. There are you know th- there's all of that, that 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 there are you know. Uh, I think I was listening to your last uh, broadcast on uh, uh, standard Ease. You talking about the different therapies. Um, you know even the military has just. Stop doing, for instance, dog therapy, uh, but they found that that is extremely effective uh, for for veterans suffering from PTSD. Anybody suffering from PTSD, um, and you know, art therapy, horticulture therapy, all of these things. These are the kind of things that we're looking to uh, establish and get vets involved And It's really a question of uh, of, of 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 thinking through things, working through things, and. And replacing, uh, you know, when when you do get these thoughts, what do you do? And you need tools. You need tools to do something different, and to get your mind uh, working in a more productive manner.
0: What uh, would a typical um, demographic vet looks like that would come in to to your place in into uh, you know the Daniel Center? What would that person look like? Describe that person. Well, we're
2: looking for recently um, um, separated guys, um, be, like I say, before they get to be, um, um, you know, bef- before these these these, these the, the, the trauma just really just takes over their life, uh, and they start making life's decisions that that are going to be harmful for a long time. So we're gonna, we're looking to reach out for these guys that, as we mentioned earlier, that that answer the questions when they. When they return, uh, they answer the questions so that they're not put into a hospital, that they come home, uh, but they're depressed, they're sad, uh, they don't have a vigor for life, uh, they have suicidal thoughts, um, and those are the guys that we're looking for. So we're looking for the younger guys. I mean, obviously, we're, we're open to everyone, but you know, primarily we're looking to get them at the beginning of the curve before they go down this path of... Uh, of uh, basically where it overcomes their life. I want to. I want to just before I forget. I just want to throw in uh, to add to what Jim mentioned earlier about these statistics and the same numbers, but put it in a different way. That the suicide rate among the nation's active duty military personnel uh, eclipses the number of troops dying in battle. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, that's really something and I just wanted to throw that well,
0: out Well, unless we can square that away, then we can effectively say the enemy has won. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, <clears throat> keep this in mind, too. We suffer it as a nation. Anybody who is in war suffers the same thing. So it's not just Americans that are exposed to this. It's people in any country that's engaged in any type of conflict, which goes back to... My earlier comment about the civilian populace, don't you think that they go through the same thing? Don't you think that they have suicides? Don't you think that they ask themselves why? Because they have the same nightmares and sometimes even worse than what you have as a trained soldier. A trained soldier knows he's going to be doing this. A civilian is just caught in the middle of it.
0: myself with with that James is we really we really need to I think we need to pull back all of us. When I say all of us, I mean literally all of us on, on every side of the world and maybe take a five hundred foot view of this and begin the process of wondering just what kind of pressures can our political leaders and the, the people that are on the ground put on an entire society at a time in which technology keeps getting more and more Uh, destructive. It was different when we were, you know, beating the shit out of each other with clubs. And then we started throwing rocks, and then we started throwing, you know, balls, and then we started throwing flaming this and flaming that. And now we're sending drone attacks and wiping out just, you know, with people from the sky. And we just terrorize each other. And And I just wonder, in fact, I don't have to wonder. I know for a fact that the majority of our leaders who are sitting there in comfortable little foggy bottom, Um, don't really pay much attention to the human cost when they're making those kinds of decisions because I think if they did pay attention to those kinds of costs, they would never make those kinds of decisions. Certainly not in a geopolitical sense. I'm going to only touch upon this briefly because we have friends on both ends of the line right now. But in the world in which I live in, in my home here, where I'm sitting and looking out at the ocean, um, I have a shelter in my house here that is a fortified, certified bomb shelter to which I have water and food and everything set up should something happen. And that's as a direct result of the state of affairs where I live. And if we were to do that exact same kind of thing in the United States, where we had to build a home with a fortified, triple rebar cement bunker in their house for fear that our neighbors were going to harm us, it would certainly change our perspective because I can categorically state it changed my perspective. And it's not as easy as talking about a film. It's not that easy. It's not that simple. You, You have to think about what we're talking about here. And we're talking about war. Yes, it's war that's away from us. And we don't see the scars of the people who have gone out there But as a nation, as a society, we do in fact feel the human cost. In World War II, we had that same group of people come back with a level of tenacity and they made it happen. But they made it happen because it was an entire nation that sacrificed. Whether it be food drives, whether it be saving bacon fat, whether it be not wearing nylons, whether it not changing the color of Lucky Strike from green to red, everybody in the nation felt something form of responsibility and contributed in some way and that was a just war but now we don't nobody contributes but the men and women who who raised their right hand and said I do and bless America they did and now they're still paying that price like James talked about for the rest of their lives and I think that it's it, I, I wish there would be some way that we could reach out and shake it at people you know we're talking about it you know we're talking about it on our radio programs so we're bringing people on as guests. We are affecting some people. I guess we affected one young man in London, who said, "I'm not going to carry a pistol," and was put in jail for it because he listened to some of our programs. Now we didn't advocate for that, but what we did do is we, we were starting to talk about it. And you know, maybe we're throwing peas at a, at a at a tank, but at the very least, the work that you guys are doing, the very least the work that we're doing, it's it's sometimes so difficult to watch politicians making political points for some kind of a gain that's unrelated to the facts on the ground. And the same exact thing has to be said about America and the way in which the press is treating what's happening in this neck of the woods that we're at. Because if we don't unfuck ourselves and if we don't unravel this ball of string, I could tell you right now, we're going to have bomb shelters in our house in the United States of America. And unless we figure that out, we're going to have societies ruined and busted and broken for a long period of times. I don't have the answers. I've got a buttload of questions. Sometimes I'm overwhelmed with, some of my understandings that i gained from being here and i wished i could stand on top of a mountainside and scream what i'm feeling but you're going to be you know it's you know it's it's frustrating but it is i believe and this is why i said this is i do believe that it's your grassroots efforts and anybody that's listening you too need to make those grassroots efforts because hey we ask so much we need to begin the process of delivering as a nation as well. We too have to sacrifice. And it doesn't mean that you have to go ahead and save bacon fat, not wear nylons, but it means that you've got to talk to that person next to you and you've got to be sympathetic and you owe it to us, you owe it to your nation, to your flag and your children to be sympathetic and at least educate yourself. Because if you don't, if you don't, then all you're doing is isolating the very people who stood up to be counted if you didn't.
2: That God, that was unbelievably wonderful. That and <clears throat> what I started thinking about was as I uh, go to local restaurants, as I as I started going down this road, to uh, the Daniel Center, um, I, I I am I feel so rewarded that every whenever I speak to a local restaurant owner or somebody else sitting in the restaurant or a friend or somebody at the bar, whatever it might be, there is nobody that turns their head from me. I, I always find that I'm striking a chord that that everybody feels that. Well, I shouldn't say everybody. So many people feel, uh, as you mentioned during World War II, the whole country was at war. We all participated in one way or the other. Um, and now it's frustrating, and there's a lot of frustration in people that that this is all going on, and you know, people are still driving BMWs, and people are still living life. Uh, and, and look at iPhones. I mean, six six million new iPhones. Whatever they're what a half inch bigger, but everybody had to get online to buy one. It's like it's so surreal. And I find when I talk to people, when I walk through my little town and I speak to people, I you know I, I just I, I know I'm striking a chord. Everybody wants to help, um, and it's uh, it's very uh, it's very 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 rewarding, and it's. Uh, and it's something that, uh, you know, I think uh, you're right. It's the grassroots level. That's where it has to start. It's not going to start at Foggy Bottom. Not at all.
0: Yeah.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Gar, just so you know, when I was a boy, we used to do the uh, underneath our desk pit. Yeah. And we used to keep water there. in the basements and food in a basement. So I kind of relate to where you're at. Having been in that country that you're in currently, I'm aware of what you guys go through. It's uh, it, it's interesting. But like you say, we don't want to dwell on that particular conversation. Yeah, yeah. But going past that, where we are with this, it's all about an awareness factor. Rich, my hat's off to you, and, and my hat's off to the lady that you met who changed your direction of thinking and where you're going. And I think you're going to be successful. I know we have been successful in helping a lot of different outreach programs. So we'll definitely post you on our website and uh, Dave will handle that end of it. And maybe we can get you some donations. Who knows?
0: Well, where where do you want to be? Let's say that, let's say that you, um, you can lay your vision out there. Um, Where, where would you like the center to be in a year? And what what is it going to take to get you there?
2: We okay, want to be question. here.
0: What's it going to take us to get there?
2: It's a good question. We, our, our goal then is uh, when I, <clears throat> a few months ago when I was uh, uh, full of uh, piss and vinegar and I was going to go raise millions of dollars, I did uh, identify a number of potential donors, uh, some very wealthy Wall Street guys, um, one in particular who was a, a wounded Vietnam vet, uh, went on to make you know, a couple of hundred million dollars. Uh, and, uh, again, because we don't have a track record, I had to back down. So now our goal is to, over the coming months, to build up a track record, to, to memorialize, to uh, every to document every case that we handle um, and follow up with results. And within a year, our, our plan is to open up our first residential center. Um probably and and it might turn out to be a little bigger, but we 're going to be looking like to to house twenty vets again locally um, and offering the therapies that we uh, we know work now the uh, not not just the sitting down and talking but the the horticulture the um, the dog therapy, the art therapy, the music therapy. Uh, we want to do a jobs outreach, uh, work with local businessmen, finding jobs for these guys. Um, and that's our goal. And then to eventually put together a document uh, that any group around the country that wants to go down a similar path, uh, we will outline it for. Exactly what we've done, how we did it, and how they could achieve the same thing. And again, doing it at a local community-based Project.
0: You know, it strikes me that um, what's going to make this successful is, is that partnership. Like you talk about, you know, helping to find them a job, but there's got to be that employer on the other end who, who is looking to hire somebody. And, and I think we should probably be very candid with each other. When these people come back, especially when they're recently coming back, and that's the target audience that you want to hit, they are still broken. They're not forever broken, but at the moment they're broken. And it's going to take some patience and some willingness. And this kind of gets back into what I was talking about earlier about, you know, sacrificing and anteing up to the table. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to be that business owner who wants to participate in this war once it's over with, then be patient with that vet. Give a little bit back and understand. And, of course, now there's going to be vets that are people that are going to try to take advantage of that. But we're talking about those people who want to deal with the folks that want to help salvage themselves. It just seems that, that it's doable if, if we can learn how. And I, and I just want to piggyback off of something you said, is that you said that there's a lot of people, and the majority of the people that you deal with, they're with you, and you're impressed by that, but, and they want to help. But I think, I think turning that willingness to help into action to help is going to require a lot of us telling those people who want to be volunteers what that help looks like. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that person has to be, you know, give them a job and turn them a bunch of money around. It could very well mean that you listen to somebody on a park bench while you eat a sandwich for 30 minutes. It can be as simple as that, you know. I, I even hate to say it. It can be as simple as... as Michael Landon in his, you know, Stairway to Heaven or whatever that show was, (laughs) uh, you know, where he just went in there and talked to people on a level. And I I know that those vets are are sitting there trying to fix themselves, which is exactly why they don't go and get help from the other people who want to help them. But they'll get to a point, at least I hope they'll get to a point, where they'll reach out. But in the process of them trying to fix themselves, they'll reach out to anybody else that can kind of help give them some answers and in the absence of that they turn to they don't hit the gym they hit the gym beam and yep. that becomes a problem yeah
3: I'm one sure. of the things that, one of the things i'm working with right now is a couple of my young vets at school who are there we got a veterans center on campus and we got a veterans club that's pretty active we actually don't just limit it to veterans we have all kinds of people in our club and the uh the core group of them have been starting to hang out at one of the guys' house, and basically, they've set up a bar in his garage. And you know, from what I've been hearing, I, they keep inviting me over, but I can't put myself in that situation. Um, but they, they keep do they putting themselves at, at at risk behavior. And I had a young man get a DUI a couple weekends ago, and luckily because of. A misadministration of the test that got thrown out, but I think he's finally getting to the point where he's hitting rock bottom and i I did something I hardly ever do with students. I gave him my personal phone number and said, You gotta call me, man
2: hmm. yeah, yeah that uh, that does temporarily use the pain,
0: yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, it does, but it's the same. It's kind of like having a, it's kind of like having a torn rotator cuff, and taking aspirin. It 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 eases the pain, but after that wears off, you still got a torn rotator cuff. You better get some surgery on that, and that's kind of what we're talking about. So we're gonna, we're getting close to the end. Can you do us a favor, really quick here, and and tell us if you would for us, uh, Rich. How can people – do you have some numbers and some email addresses and some, some basic facts about how they can go down to – you talked about your website, but plug a few things. I see on there there's, there's some places where people can mail some information to you and if they want to support in some particular way. Tell, tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap up the program.
2: Wonderful. Sure. Um, <laughs> we started about a month ago using uh, <clears throat> one of these uh, crowdfunding sites. Uh, You've probably heard about them, Kickstarter, Indiegogo. Uh, We're using one called StartSomeGood.com. And um, we were almost ready to launch last week, and we kind of decided that we weren't quite ready. Um, We want to use a lot of um, uh, social media to drive people to the site. Um uh, etc and we we you know we don't, we don't want to fail uh we're looking to raise twelve thousand dollars that's not a lot of money but it is a lot of money um, right. and uh so we we're holding up but we should be ready to launch again in a couple of weeks in the meantime um, again the the website is danielcenterinc.org. Um dot org and we have uh, some articles posted there on ptsd there's a kind of our mission statement, the uh, little bios about the folks that are involved. Um, And there is an address there and email links uh, where folks can reach out for us. There's an address where we can gratefully receive donations. Um, And again, within a few weeks, there'll be a direct link to StartSomeGood.com where uh, folks could make donations using credit cards uh, through PayPal. Um, we're also, uh, aggressively looking for a local businessman to actually donate a storefront for us for a 12 month period. But if not, $12,000 will be fine. Uh, we'll be able to prepay rent for 12 months and get some internet connections and a few phones and we're ready to go.
0: Well, let's not forget also your Facebook presence, uh, facebook.com slash the Daniel Center. Yes. That's important because we've, I've looked at it here and- you got some good signs in it. I see you got a great group of people, and and of all those folks that are there, you can see that there's there's not just you, but there's a nice little group of folks that are that are behind this effort. And what I really like about looking at the photographs that you have there, and certainly taking a look at your bio, is it puts a real human face behind um, what we're talking about here. Which is, you know, a lot of you we hear the voices, but you hear that human face. And and I think it's important people should head over there. That's at facebook.com slash the Daniel Center.
3: And we'll be putting a plug on you on our our Sanities page on Facebook and uh, and as well as the Web page.
2: Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.
0: So I suppose, Dave, it's is it. uh, Boy, an hour whips by pretty quick. It's that time, isn't it?
3: yeah well,, we actually got about six more minutes.
0: yeah, well, I got us at three more, so I wanted to
3: <laughs>
0: okay, if we got six, I'm fine. i was I was doing my math.
3: And... Yeah, yeah, I guess why well, I got the stopwatch here. Now we got five.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think uh, just just as another quick question, and since I have a little bit of time, which I don't have to um, uh, lend back the balance, what kind of reception are you getting from? I'm taking a look at your site. Can you tell us a little bit about if they're okay with talking about it? You have several folks. And what are the backgrounds of the other people who are part of this as well?
2: Um, okay. The, um, uh, I'm not sure I got your first question, Gar.
0: Well, you know, I'm looking at your Facebook page. And okay. you, have a, you have a nice photograph at the Daniel Center. But I'm interested in finding out there's, a, there's several people that are there. There are human faces on your webpage. And can you tell us a little bit about the total group and kind of the demographics where everybody is coming from?
2: Okay. Well, well, we're all uh, uh, middle-aged folks in fifties <laughs> and sixties. Uh, the faces there uh, uh, on the page are uh, that's Julia Dane and uh, uh, Linda uh, Lynn is there and uh, Juanita, and they're all uh, master social workers who have worked at uh, not only with veterans but with all types of uh, primarily addiction uh, centers in the Hudson Valley of New York here, where I'm located. Um, and uh, this is something, believe it or not, they've been trying for four years to get off the ground. Um, and uh, you know, they're 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 not very well experienced or versed in raising money. Uh, they've had some uh, some pig roasts and some uh, some local radio interviews. Uh, but they really, they don't know, uh, um, you know, they're, they're counselors, and they really have never been in the money-raising business, if you will. Uh, so along I came, and I said, we could do this. And uh, they were all getting a little uh, um, um, a little depressed and a little anxious about continuing. Um, but for four years, they've been meeting every other week on Sunday at Julia's house, trying to figure out how to raise this money to make this happen. Um uh, and uh, so now that i'm involved, I feel uh, energized, they feel energized, and we're going to make this happen
0: well i uh, I hope we can help here at stand at ease in any way that we can so well, I tell you what Dave, no matter what you say, I kind of want to wrap this thing up because it 's been a while since we've given any shout outs, and we've got to kind of feed some of our buddies so of course we have to we have to talk about the Daniel Center obviously but uh, yep. and let's bring back some of the people that we've that have reached out and touched us, and we've had a had a real opportunity to bring on board as well.
3: All right. So here we go. We got of uh, Helms at uh, Helping Hands Worldwide. Very important we start helping them out as much as we can because we got information from her about a lot of the um, family centers on bases being shut down. Uh, the Graffiti Award Project, they're still doing great things. Um, I've been trying to get a hold of Doc to find out when his book's coming out or if it has come out. And of course, there's Gunny Wolf at Semper Tunes. If you're at Camp Lejeune or at Quantico, make sure you stop in at his storefronts and maybe get something personalized. Still there, guys? Yep, I'm back.
1: Yep, I'm here. Okay. All right.
3: Is Gar there?
0: Ah, uh-huh. I wanted to I kind of wanted to. I, I thought I was doing a bunch of talking in the background, and um, <laughs> got to remind myself to unmute the machine, which is which is important. <laughs> At any rate, I'm a tech guy. I don't know if you guys know that, James. Do you mind giving us a quick quick rundown? But I want to say a special thanks, Rich. I, I want to say two things that's just important to me. Thank you for helping us uh, kickstart the, the new the new set of shows for us, and thanks a lot for and I mean this for, from event myself, for getting out there and, and, and putting yourself out online and helping to get that program going. because I think that you serve an important role here for us, certainly on this particular show, is pointing out the fact that the only reason why you got involved is because you made a choice to get involved. And that's something I hope other people can realize that, uh, you know, just make that choice. And, uh, you know, you can you can start a new chapter in your own personal patriotism and, um, you know, replace that that faded yellow um, sticker with some real help with some real folks. So and James, thanks for bringing a rich bag.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. <coughs> oh, we shut the show down now. No, we're just, free we're,
0: we're just getting ready. <laughs> We're free ranging, man. <laughs> All right, well, thank you guys uh, yeah,
2: yeah, for the opportunity yeah, to talk here. I think uh, it was very good. I yeah, really absolutely. appreciate
0: it. All right, anyways, as always, over to my left, we've got the D. Bjorn Christian who's coming from Grand Forks, North Dakota. Over to my <coughs> right, James L. Johnson, thanks for coming back. And Rich Rossi, who's coming from Highland, New York. Uh, thanks for joining in, and we'll talk to catch you guys on the train.